the people who are like more who equate any sort of morality with idealism i'm just like that's mm. not <laughs> you're taking well, things too far you're misunderstanding what like the problem with idealism is <laughs> it's it's also like a tricky part of philosophy that you get into where you start having to explain to somebody who really has no interest in this stuff the difference between morals and ethics mm -hmm. and the difference between like all of the different schools of ethical philosophy, where they come from and where they interact with like the material world. And uh, a lot of people are kind of pre-programmed to think like either my heart bleeds for everyone or I'm Ayn Rand. And those are the only <laughs> yeah. options in the entire world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my heart does not bleed for everybody. That's that's for sure. <laughs> I but I posted what today is like. Uh, oh yeah, Derek Chauvin was stabbed in prison. Let's hope he doesn't make it. Prayer hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, that's like that that meme. That's like I do not support all. And then it was like X group. Some of you are very stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's also like I don't know. It's pretty because people love to split hairs and do like 2000s era like South Park jokes about which groups have like which levels of reaction and stuff. And it's just it, the cops recruit from everybody. Mm -hmm. And that is a big part of the problem. And I think if you start there, it's really enlightening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, because I mean, that brings you back around to the whole unity of struggles thing that mm -hmm. you know, class position, you know, yeah. <laughs> class orientation, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, all the stuff that creates all them their contradictions that we're trying to heighten. <laughs> Good God, you start having to make flowcharts, and in the modern day, in, this is something I've been thinking about. Can you even imagine how good Marx would have been at Microsoft Excel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, just... That's one of the things, you know, I think about sometimes. First off, if you're ever reading a PDF of Capital and it's broken with the formatting around Ugh. all those fucking tables, yes. it becomes impossible to read. Th that always makes me think, I'm like, look, we have enough trouble with that with PDFs. Like, having to do that manually and get that printed right and, like, hope that the, t the stuff you aligned on the type didn't, like, misalign mm -hmm. the table so it's impossible to read. I'm just like, that must have been even more of a nightmare. Do you think Marx was just hanging out at the typesetters, like, belligerent <laughs> and drunk, and they were trying to get him to leave? And he was like, I swear to God, if, in if the index column doesn't line up with the first names column, <laughs> I'm going to murder every single one of you. <laughs> well... And he writes, you know, he talks about, like, how many hours he's just st standing in, like, the British library, just, like, mm -hmm. pouring over all of these statistical reports from, like, the House of Commons on factory inspections and stuff. Oh, my God. And, it, and that's because it's, you know, we talk about, like, cut and paste, but we always think about it as, like, the electronic version. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, how much of this, like, is he having to, like, hand copy down and everything? I'm just like, the whole process of research which is hard enough as it is with like the active suppression of so much information today, was just such a nightmare before computers. And I oh, know yeah. this is like, it has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about in the episode. <laughs> no, but it's um, just it, like, it's more, it has more to do with the episodes that we're recording on the Patreon where I have to consistently true. say, I cannot find the sources that they cite in this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, no, but it is, it's wild how old the cut, copy, paste thing is, because sometimes mm -hmm. I open up my computer and I'm doing, you know, Word document work or whatever, and I'm like, oh, ha, the save icon's a floppy disk. I bet the kids don't even know what that right. is. And then I'm looking at cut, copy, and paste like, these are computer terms. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right. I yeah, actually did no. have that thought when Dan was talking about, like, conceptualizing cutting pages out of a newspaper or mm -hmm. a book and then pasting them into a... Uh, a uh, 
research report, and I'm like, oh, fuck. You could literally cut and paste. Well, like 30 or 40 <laughs> years ago, that would be what we were doing instead of talking into these fancy uh, condenser microphones, is we would be making a zine, probably. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just making these notes collaboratively like we do every week, like we would have had to do that all with everybody just writing in pencil and scribbling mm-hmm. stuff out. We would have had to move to, like, closer together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, Marks and Angles would have benefited a lot from Google Docs, and I'm yeah. going to say it, Venmo. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Labor podcast. My name is John. I'm Dan. And I'm Lena. And we're an entirely listener-supported show. We do not have our very own angles. So if you support us on the Patreon, that's you. You are Friedrich. Thank you so much if you do that. <laughs> Hop in the Discord if you're not in there already. Message me on Patreon if you need stickers, and I will send them to you. And if you want to help the show a little bit more, set, uh, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think it will help. Yeah, so... Unfortunately, this week we've got some sad news to start the episode with. Do always try and, you know, front load some of the more unfortunate stories. So folks, longtime listeners will know and anybody who follows us on social media that we've been, you know, uh, happily covering and supporting the fight by the workers at Medieval Times, all the various knights, uh, queens, uh, animal trainers, uh, all of the different uh, folks over there who have been on a long and arduous journey to try and unionize. And and specifically, the two castles that have unionized so far, the one in New Jersey and the one in Buena Park, California, have been sort of leading the charge there. And the, one, the castle in Buena Park specifically has been on strike for quite a while. In fact, Nine months, in fact, and unfortunately, this past week, that strike came to an end uh, without a definite victory. So uh, on Tuesday, November 21st, after nine months on strike, the workers at the Buena Park location in Medieval Times, just outside Los Angeles, uh, were forced to return unconditionally to work, uh, largely just because of the amount of union busting that the company was able to do in the process of this strike. Uh, they, workers initially went on strike back in February over unfair labor practices by the company, including many attempts to undermine the union itself. And so uh, most of the members of the union will return to work at the Buena Park Castle, but the company is refusing to bring back three prominent organizers, including Jake Bowman, who formerly worked as a knight at the Buena Park Castle. And he uh, specifically exposed the abuse of horses at the facility during the strike by the replacement workers, the scabs that were brought in to take over their jobs. And so in retaliation for exposing this abuse, the company has refused to allow him to return. And the union called out this illegal retaliation and said, quote, we'll be pursuing the appropriate legal avenues to ensure the proper reinstatement of our three striking workers who have dedicated their time and put their livelihoods on the line for nine months, end quote. Yeah. And I mean, like this, this sucks, honestly. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's really just an unfortunate case of, you know, what, what is another illustration of how heavily weighted U.S. labor law is against the workers, especially in smaller unions with, I mean, medieval times able to use 
the police to prevent strikers from stopping scabs, uh, from working as replacements. The union was actually largely forced to lean on like boycott tactics to pressure mm-hmm. the company, which are incredibly difficult for like smaller organizations to really mobilize that sort of thing. And additionally, yeah. Medieval Times was able to continue abusing workers the entire time due to lack of consequences for violating labor law, which just really appalling and also honestly another thing is just even the company's ability to use scabs in the first place yeah no i mean absolutely like there's a lot of there's a lot of countries even very very capitalist ones uh where it's just it's not legal to hire Mm -hmm. permanent replacements during a strike now of course technically it's not supposed to be legal to hire permanent replacements during a ulp strike in the u.s but many companies have a very easy time convincing judges that no, this is actually an economic strike. This isn't, or, or that it's not a ULP strike, and therefore they're allowed to hire permanent replacements. Again, they shouldn't be allowed to hire permanent replacements at all. But that's you know one of the things that they were able to use in their favor to basically outlast uh, the strike. Unfortunately, but the thing is. While this is, uh, you know, sad, it's unfortunate, it sucks, it's a reflection of how bullshit U.S. labor law is and how heavily weighted our class society is towards the bosses, including uh, ridiculous Spanish aristocrats like uh, Medieval Times CEO Perico Montaner. Um, but it's this is not, of course, this is not the union throwing in the towel on their efforts. Uh, the workers did thank their thousands of supporters who joined them on the picket line and showed their support over the course of the strike, including workers from many local unions. You know, we saw like during the SAG after a strike, there were and the WGA strike. Workers from both those unions came out to support the Medieval Times workers. We've seen the, the Amazon Teamsters have been out there. So you know, there has been a lot of support from the local uh, working class, which that was very good to see. Um, and in a statement, the union vowed to continue this struggle in other ways, saying, quote, make no mistake, the strike may be over, but our fight is not. We are as united as ever in our effort to attain a contract that addresses our key issues and makes medieval times a safe and equitable workplace, end quote. And so, you know, the struggle will, like they said, it will continue at both the New Jersey and the Buena Park castles, but you know, the effort to unionize medieval times is not, uh, you know, isolated to just those two locations. And reflecting that, on the, actually the same day, I believe, as the announcement of the strike, there was a, a complaint filed by the NLRB against Medieval Times at a third castle um, after the company retaliated against a worker who raised concerns about working conditions, including sexual assault by customers. Uh, this was uh, reported by Dave Jameson in the Huffington Post, who has been, like, the best reporter on, on the Medieval Times drive. He's been doing really great coverage. Um and after, you know, those two castles in, in New Jersey and California unionized last year, the company launched a big union busting drive across uh, all of the rest of their locations uh, in their attempt to stamp out the union. And so the complaint that was issued by the NLRB documents the case of a worker at the castle in Illinois outside Chicago who complained directly to CEO Perico Montaner about customers routinely sexually assaulting Medieval Times employees. In response... Rather than implementing new policies to protect workers, uh, like, you know, posting signs, making statements that's like, you know, this sort of shit is not tolerated, ejecting people, banning people, that sort of thing. Uh, No, instead, uh, unsurprisingly, the company, especially based on its recent track record, they retaliated against the worker who spoke up. Um, They were given harder working conditions, then they were officially disciplined, and then they were fired last December. 
Yeah, and it's honestly classic, like, almost anti-union activity that is used against people who are whistleblowers in this particular capacity where, you know, it might be like, oh, yeah, we'll handle it at first, but then it's always like, oh, sorry, now you get all closing shifts. Oh, wait, Mm -hmm. no, now they're closing and opening shifts. And, oh, you had one issue, now you're written up. Oh, look at that, now you're fired. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's really like the same path that a lot of union folks have to face. Yeah, and it seems like, especially in this case, it's just particularly egregious because I didn't see anything about, like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I don't recall saying good luck, basically. It's like <laughs> yeah. they didn't even make a, a, a fake little thing of, like, oh, we're going to take care of this. You bring sexual, you know, um, harassment allegations to Perico Montaner, and he's like, well, I do that, so fuck you. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, I know you're absolutely right, Lena. And, and it's also like this is the this is a very similar pattern, like you said, that we've seen uh, come up against whistleblowers and a lot of other industries. Like like you said, like a, like retail, I think, is, yeah, one of the, the places we see this sort of thing, fast food, any of that sort of stuff. I mean, we've how many cases of, of workers at Starbucks have we talked about who've seen almost this identical, you know? Response? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I so, know personally. <laughs> right. So, yeah, unfortunately, very much a pattern by bosses in response to these sorts of things. And also, again, a reason why every worker needs a union and not to have the bosses in charge of this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But so the complaint against Medieval Times directly accuses the company of taking these actions to, quote, discourage employees from engaging in protected concerted activities, end quote. In this case, along with, you know, the the, uh, unfortunate end of the Medieval Times uh, Buena Park strike, they really just underline the weakness of our labor law system. Like those workers were on strike for nine months. This worker, uh, you know, at, at the Illinois Castle was fired almost a year ago, and the complaint is just getting filed now. And so, like, it'll take more months, if not years, for this case to work its way through the system. And even if it does, the likely best outcome for the worker is that they get offered their job back with back pay, and that's it. Like and and maybe the the company has to post a notice saying they won't do it again. Yeah, like and there's there's no additional compensation for the the genuine loss of time or anything like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so all our solidarity with the medieval times workers. Uh, you know, definitely we'll we'll keep posting. You know, I'm sure there will be you know more solidarity funds and other efforts that as medieval times uh, union you know makes its next plan of attack for going after this extremely abusive company. So, as always, our our solidarity with these workers. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, as always, when we talk about our solidarity, we do have to continue our follow-ups on Palestine. Because as workers across the country stand up in defense of Palestine amidst the ongoing genocide being carried out by Israel and its imperial masters in the U.S., the McCarthyite backlash against them has grown as well. This past week, those attacks came to a new level against public uh, public defenders in New York City when bosses filed a lawsuit attempting to bar you organized members of the Association of Legal Aid Attorneys, UAW Local 2325, from even voting on a resolution calling a ceasefire. They're literally trying mm-hmm. to stop the union from doing internal like like policy making of Look, any it could sort. Be worse. This union could exist in one of those bad countries where they don't even let you have freedom of expression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a nightmare. I know. Yeah. I'm so glad we have our freedoms, folks. <laughs> so, 
Bosses at the Bronx Defenders, Brooklyn Defender Service, Neighborhood Defender Service, and Legal Aid Society of New York and the New York County Defender Service have all retaliated against their workers for speaking out. Members of local 2325 serve as public defenders for legal aid groups across New York City, a desperately underfunded profession in our legal system, intentionally weighted in favor of the prosecution. I mean, the capitalist state has no real intent on undermining its own ability to imprison people, of course, as it wants to, uh, you know, continue the prison industrial complex at, at full speed. And I mean, at least five of these groups ostensibly dedicated to defending human Human rights have literally attacked their own employees over the principal defense of Palestinian human rights. Yeah. And this uh, this story is like wild because like look we've seen so many different organizations go after their workers for having a principled stance. I mean there have been a ton of reporters either sidelined or just fired. We saw a bunch of actors. I mean, Susan Sarandon got lost her like talent uh, agency mm-hmm. or, or like or something that was like dropped from her contract for making comments at, at Palestinian uh, pro-Palestinian events. Uh, I mean, obviously, we've talked about you know uh, workers getting disciplined and, and, and various other stories, but this one is the first time that I've seen like the bosses interfering in a union vote. And I've seen people come up and say, oh, no, no, the plaintiffs in this case are members of the... Yeah, I don't really care. Like, this, mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they did a straw vote, you know, before this resolution got shut down. The union wants this resolution, so the fact that the bosses were able to find one or two malcontents to be the people to file the lawsuit doesn't make this not a boss-driven lawsuit. Like, it, the the whole thing is ridiculous because again the 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 whole argument we're going to get into this is that like oh this is going to reflect badly I'm like oh opposing a genocide is going to reflect badly on a group dedicated to defending the oppressed what the fuck are you talking about yeah in what fucking universe I mean it it reminds me of the same kind of political attitude you see online where people are like oh don't speak up too much for Israel you might lose your job it's like literally name one person who has ever lost their job in the United States for being on the side of the genocide that's right, going on. Right. It's like that's, a d- totally demented uh, priorities. Yeah, you, you have this whole thing where people, they're trying to, they're like, oh, uh, as, as tensions are, are inflamed, there's controversy on both sides. No, Wrong. there isn't. <laughs> Absolutely incorrect. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, as reported by Kelly Lacey for The Intercept, workers have been disciplined for sharing links on the, on work Slack channels and other internal communications exposing the horrors of genocide in Gaza, and some were even reprimanded for proposing that workers donate to the Palestinian Children's Relief Fund instead of uh, their usual annual holiday party. I mean, that uh, absolutely absurd. You don't want to, like... It's a children's relief fund. This is like when the Florida police keep arresting people for feeding the homeless. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it is. Well, but it's just, it's also so wild to watch American bosses internalize Mm -hmm. the the Israeli propaganda version of all of this, because it's like, you want to send money to the Palestinian Children's Relief Fund? Why do you support terrorism? Like, yeah. that's, that's, that's it may their as well response be called, to this. It may as well be called the Hamas al-Nusra. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, Al-Qaeda Children's Fund. That's not going it's, to children. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no. It's fucking ridiculous. And bosses at the legal organizations have justified these attacks on workers' rights by claiming that taking a stand against genocide could, as you Dan was alluding to, jeopardize the funding from wealthy donors and law firms. Oh no, 
are donations from all of the people supporting genocide. What uh, what a what a so, loss. Yeah, so I want to take a quick second here and point out that one of the things that this story, while awful, is very useful for is illustrating the problem with NGOs. <laughs> so this is the thing. Public defender groups do great work, incredibly important work, and work that is vastly underfunded, for sure. Here's the problem <laughs> with setting up the solution this way, is all of these groups become beholden to wherever their funding is coming from. So you can either have somebody in charge of them who's principled, and then they're a lot less likely to get donations, or you can have somebody who's far more pliant to the needs of the donor base, and then you get this bullshit, where you have the people who most of the time are genuinely doing very good work, who are now saying that the money coming from people who uh, would be very mad about lawyers saying we should stop killing innocent people, that those donations are more important than an organization, again, ostensibly dedicated to protecting the vulnerable and the rights of the oppressed, that it's more important to protect the feelings of wealthy donors who are, ha happen to be Zionists than it is to make a principled and moral stance on the like one of the most horrific attacks we've seen in modern history. Look, Dan, this is America. Be real. All the institutions run on blood money. Either you want the blood money or you don't want the blood money. It's very, very simple. <laughs> oh, man, I'm having flashbacks to organizing conversations. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and last week, however, bosses at the Legal Aid Society took it to the next level. When members came together to vote on the union resolution calling for a ceasefire, their own bosses filed a restraining order against them, preventing them from completing the vote and officially announcing the, re the results, which is absolutely absurd. The resolution workers introduced and voted on calls for a ceasefire and an end to apartheid, occupation, and genocide. It also endorses the BDS movement and demands for an end to military aid to Israel. All in, like very just base level demands that any workers organization could take in the middle of this genocide being carried out with U.S. weapons paid for by U.S. tax dollars. I mean, like we are incredibly like res like responsible in this regard to take actual action and i mean clearly they don't want that to happen yeah so that's the thing it's like the position that they're taking that the workers are voting on again they're not even like this is this restraining order is to stop workers from voting on something which in its face is just ridiculous but so like also not voting for something inside of the literal organization that they're in inside their union right right and so they filed this restraining order but their justification for filing it is an absurd argument that I personally find logically and legally untenable, which, but it reflects the, how quickly liberalism shifts into fascism. And so, like, this is one of their arguments. So Legal Aid Society CEO Twyla Carter said, quote, These statements call for the elimination of the state of Israel and the annihilation of the Jewish people. You don't have to agree, but that's how some of our colleagues feel and some of our supporters, end quote. And so, like, no, that's not true. <laughs> and the line of argument 
is the same exact argument used by white supremacists yeah. to attack the Black Lives Matter movement, by fascist Republicans to attack the rights of LGBTQ people. This line of argument that if that political speech must be silenced, not because of what it actually says, but if it makes a few individuals feel uncomfortable, then there is no political speech which questions the official position of the state that would ever be acceptable. Like this, this is again, this is the way that like liberalism hides fascism within itself because again yeah. this is this is all under the outline we're just trying not to offend anybody we're just trying to be neutral and by neutral we mean supporting the state yeah well it's mm -hmm. like in a, it's like almost one to one with the anti school integration thing mm -hmm. that happened here in the united yep. states and like you know apartheid south africa is the obvious other example but it it really puts it right on its face where you know twyla says these statements call for the elimination of the state of Israel and the annihilation of the Jewish people, stating that like a fact, and then says, you don't have to agree. What kind of fucking weird Democrat <laughs> shit is that? Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's really absurd. Yeah, because that's the thing. Yeah, they, they make this bold statement that is just flatly untrue, and then follow it up by, oh, that may be controversial to you, but you have to accept my interpretation. No, I don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I absolutely do not, and I'm not going to cede that ideological ground to you. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's literally, I mean, I, I, it, it's uh, so absurd because people are not, I, I, I don't know, it just really the, the dishonesty is is really so frustrating. Yeah, well, um, it's like you hear the exact same thing from white supremacists when they're like, oh, well, this thing that taught me, that taught my kids how awful slavery was, that made me feel bad. So you can't teach about it. I'm like, you are making the same arguments as these people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> And, I mean, Murtaza Hussein, a member of Local 2325, issued a statement on Twitter saying, quote, The response to public defenders, workers, students, teachers, journalists, and the majority of the country standing up for the humanity and dignity of the Palestinians has been met with a new McCarthyism, one that seeks to quell not just Palestinian liberation, but black liberation, queer and trans rights, reproductive freedom, and workers' rights, end quote. Mm -hmm. that and is that is so, so incredible well said and and i think that hitting on the fact that this is something that a majority of the country is standing up for or at least coming around to in one respect or another is like so so important because when the first mccarthyism happened they weren't going after most of the population's opinion they were going after you know a very ideologically motivated subset of of workers and using that label to to go after whoever they wanted but like to, to try and suppress support for Palestinian liberation today, it just seems like downright impossible. Like, it seems like mm -hmm. if, even if you manage to do it, by the end, 70% of the country would hate your fucking guts for it because you would have told them to sit down and shut up so many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it is pretty clear that, you know, the workers in general and, you know, just the masses across the world, even including in the United States where there is a huge bastion of conservatism and fascist, like, apologism, mm -hmm. are on the side of the Palestinians. Yeah, like, 
This is the sort of this argument that like, you know, supporting for supporting Palestine, supporting the BDS movement, supporting the end to apartheid is some fringe position. I'm just like, you are arguing on a decade ago's ideological ground. Mm -hmm. Like you have already the 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 terrain has shifted. You have that that like that horse is out. I'm gonna just mix a million metaphors here. Like the horse is out of the barn. Like that's gone. That era when you could paint like defending Palestinian human rights as a fringe position and just silence people with anti-semitism like the, that ended with in my in my view with jeremy corbyn like that sure. to me that's the end of like the period where you're going to be able to just cr like use brute force to, to crush this sort of sentiment because now you've got millions of people in the streets while they're being told that what they're saying mm -hmm. is worse than the nazis because that shit's not working anymore no i think my only hair to split is that it floated for a little bit longer after Corbyn, but then when they tried to do it to Bernie Sanders, the most <laughs> prominent Jewish politician in America... Who is a Zionist! Of, yeah, but still, <laughs> it, it really made the whole thing seem totally ridiculous to everybody. Yeah, yeah. and I mean... I Luckily, this is a, a, a waning thing in, in you know their ability to attack, but this is not going to stop them because mm -hmm. no, I mean sure. the state is on the side of the Zionist regime. And mm -hmm. to kind of highlight that, a court granted a temporary restraining order at a hearing on Tuesday morning, November 21st. A judge upheld the order pending further hearings, accepting the libelous statements from the Legal Aid Society and the resolution uh, and calling the resolution anti-semitic these attacks not only underline how far down the path from quote normal liberalism to fascism america american liberals have gone but also in enforces the necessity of unions to fully back their members in this fight which is you know outside of the quote bread and butter you know and wage and benefit negotiations but highlights the actual struggles of all of the people that we intend to uplift and liberate. Yeah, I mean, we've said it a billion times on this show, but like when you are doing economic gains for your membership, you are already being political. And so you really have nothing to lose by incorporating whatever human rights issues, whatever social issues, outside stuff into your union movement. It's only going to it's only going to strengthen you. And it's also the right thing to do. We're throwing mm -hmm. that in there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, thankfully, the workers have gotten, uh, you know, some backing from at least the regional director of of their of the UAW, Brandon Mancia, who is one of the uh, directors who was voted in on the UAW uh, Members United slate. Uh, and so he came to the defense of these workers say, on social media saying, quote, bosses and judges have no business interfering in an internal union democracy. The attempt to block the ALAA 2325 membership from voting on a solidarity resolution was an act of McCarthyite overreach. UAW Region 9A will stand with ALAA and defend the their NLRA and constitutional rights, end quote. And so yeah. – that's awesome. And honestly, uh, Brandon Mencia, I believe that was also the person who was like talking about the strike benefits in the UAW back during the election. And he is like, oh, wait, the, they're like going on strike and, and strike pay is more than what the workers would be getting anyway. That means that they need to go on strike. This is yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, no, he's been he's been really good. But so in addition to that, you know, uh, we really what better way to, I think, summarize how this is going than just hearing from the workers themselves because we've got a, a clip from um you know mem from folks who are members of alaa 2325 responding to the 
frankly, incredible decision by the court to uphold the temporary restraining order. So we'll put that in now. Today, the court continued its attack on the First Amendment, on union democracy and on solidarity in a free Palestine. But amid the Israeli genocide and throughout Palestine, rank and file UAW 2325 members will not remain silent. On November 17th, 2023, Nassau County Supreme Court Judge Lise Maraca issued a blatantly unconstitutional temporary restraining order barring our union, UAW 2325, which represents approximately 2,700 legal and social service workers from completing a membership vote on a resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, an end to the Israeli occupation of Palestine, and support for workers' political speech. That resolution, our resolution, answers the urgent call by Palestinian trade unions for organized workers worldwide to, quote, end all forms of complicity with Israel's crimes, unquote. In response, the rank-and-file members of UAW 2325 drafted a resolution. And the resolution was passed by a landslide vote of 108 to 13 with eight abstentions in the ALA Joint Council composed of delegates from local shops, chapters, and on November 14th, 2023, voted to bring the resolution to a wider membership vote. Unable to defend indefensible Israeli genocide in Gaza and throughout Palestine that has killed more than 13,000 Palestinians, many of them children since October 7th. The plaintiffs here, Diane Clark, Ilana Kopmar, Isaac Altman, and David Rosenfeld, Davis Rosenfeld, sought to undermine our union's democratic process by seeking an unprecedented TRO to block the membership vote. My name is Michael Letwin. I'm passing it now to Dina. In the run-up to the TRO, management at Legal Aid and New York Legal Assistance Group publicly smeared the union resolution as anti-Semitic ignoring the fact that the resolution is supported by many Jewish 2325 members, including myself, and many of the people standing up here today. When pushed by members to identify any anti-Semitic statements in the resolution, LAS management pointed to language condemning the occupation of Palestine and stating that we stand for human rights and against apartheid, ethnic cleansing, and genocide. Far from being anti-Semitic, this language aligns with human rights organizations across the world, including numerous Palestinian groups, as well as B'Tselem, an Israeli human rights organization which documents human rights violations in Gaza and the West Bank. Accusations of anti-Semitism went even further in the complaint, which accused individual 2325 members by name of sharing anti-Semitic messages with an internal union mailing list. Some of the allegedly anti-Semitic messages cited were written by Jewish members of our union. The complaint correctly stated that one common form of anti-Zionism is to refer to all people of Jewish descent as, as Zionists. Ironically, it is only if anti-Zionists are conflated with anti-Semites that one can do something as absurd as accuse Jewish anti-Zionists of anti-Semitism. We are here today to say loud and clear any and all accusations of anti-Semitism leveled by the complaint
have absolutely no basis in reality. Opposition to apartheid Israel is not anti-Semitism. We, as union members, are appalled by management's interference in union activities and certain members anti-labor and anti-democratic actions to stoke fear in voting members. As legal workers representing the most demonized and oppressed communities in the United States, poor, criminalized, immigrant, black, and indigenous people, we are familiar with how the U.S. political establishment legitimizes state violence against our communities through courts, through prisons, police, deportations, evictions, family policing, and the media. We recognize these same tactics at work in Israel's 75-year settler colonial occupation and apartheid laws enforced by Israel's military and increasingly fascist court system and supported by U.S. tax dollars. Despite illegal censorship, we rank and file ALAA 2325 members, recommit to standing with Palestinian trade unions and workers worldwide in the fight for a free Palestine. Now, several of our members will read out the text of the union resolution. Well, and I know that that was a longer clip, so uh, thanks for, for si- sitting through that, but it was really important to hear the whole thing, I, I really think. Yeah, and and I just want to you know they, like they they said all the the core points, but just to I think to come back to like one of the things that I think is important to take away from this, like for a broader like perspective on on this situation, is that there's a lot of organizations beyond just these like legal aid NGOs who are pushing this line that uh, neutrality on this topic is somehow a like. Uh, an inoffensive uh, position. And that's not true. (laughs) Like that wouldn't be true no matter where you are, but especially in the United States, in the core of the country that is causing ultimately all of this by being, you know, the core imperial sponsor of Israel. And, and there's a quote that I, you know, you know, I, I, that I kind of take as a mantra that, uh, and I have for a long time um, that I think is incredibly apt for this moment from uh, George Habash, who was one of the founders of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, who stated decades ago, quote, in today's world, no one is innocent, no one a neutral. A man is either with the oppressed or he is with the oppressors. He who takes no interest in politics gives his blessing to the prevailing order, that of the ruling classes and exploiting forces. And that's like, that's why these these professions of false neutrality are so insidious, because you are just supporting the status quo, which is getting people killed by doing this whole, we can't make a statement, we have to stay neutral thing. So all solidarity with these workers, they're absolutely taking the right stance by standing up for, for Palestine and for human rights more broadly. Absolutely. Well, as long as we're talking about some workers who are facing some horrible uh, you know, retribution for standing up for workers, let's talk about some of the most severe cases you can imagine where another Filipino labor organizer has been murdered by the Marcos regime. So multiple times in the past, we talked about violence towards labor organizers enacted by the Marcos regime in the Philippines. And unfortunately, we are here to do it again, because on September 29th of this year, the 72nd labor organizer since 2016 was murdered. 
which that is an alarming pace. Um, I mean, one is too many, but that's yeah, really like 10 per year. It's really something. Uh, a group of plainclothes operatives entered the home of 66-year-old labor organizer Jude Fernandez and murdered him. The state claimed that he, quote-unquote, fought back in order to justify the killing, while historically this excuse has been used by the state to excuse the extrajudicial killings of people accused of selling drugs. And we see this pretty frequently in the United States here as well. It's just um, turned up to 11 a little bit in uh, the Philippines. Yeah, I mean, this is um, this is the classic. Oh, he was resisting. I mean, we we hear that mm-hmm. over and over and over again in the U.S. I mean, even if you go into like a more revolutionary context, like this is a, a something that you have the, what are called. I believe the the term is like false encounters, basically that are used mm-hmm. by the Indian police to claim when they like go and just murder. Uh, people who are activists, people who are, are defenders of like tribal folks or just people who are in the way. And there's like, they like kill the mm-hmm. people and then like will plant weapons on them or be like, oh, these people were, they were, they were doing violence and we had to stop them. We will not present any evidence that's not clearly fake. <laughs> yeah. Or they'll find somebody who kind of fits the description of the group they're trying to pin on and they'll incite them to mm. do something and then they'll pin it on the whole group. There's a bunch of ways that they do this, but to, to talk about Jude Fernandez, he was an organizer since the 70s, during the time of Ferdinand Marcos Sr.'s reign, and the nation held many protests and vigils calling out the lies of the now Marcos Jr. regime, who have claimed that the administration respects labor and human rights, which if you know anything about the Marcos family at all, even if you just know about Imelda's shoe collection, you should probably know that that's not fucking true. So Fernandez was an organizer that helped lead the creation of the Alliance of Workers in the province of Laguna and the Labor Federation Unity of Workers in Southern Tagalog, uh, KMU. Both of these unions are based in the provinces south of the capital, which are particularly densely populated and were established for various multinational companies. The Philippines remains in the top 10 most dangerous or worst countries for workers, primarily because of this violence, harassment, and other forms of attacks against workers and organizers. And this is something that we have to highlight pretty frequently because a lot of these corporations that are responsible for asking the Marcos regime to come in and do this are either directly intertwined with or indirectly intertwined with, you know, big American corporations and all the Western European ones that they work with so closely. Yeah. Well, and I mean, also, the Philippines has long been a critical node in U.S. imperialism for its attempts to Mm -hmm. contain, quote unquote, China. They just signed a new agreement to build four more military bases amongst all of the many that are U.S. bases that are already in the Philippines, you know, putting the people of the Philippines in a like horrible, just like the people of South Korea and the people of Japan Mm -hmm. in a horrible position where it's like, uh, we're going to build all of our military bases here and potentially make like your country, which has no interest in this like conflict that is only for the benefit of the United States, like a potential target. And and also ramping up all the exploitation and also, you know, getting them to let U.S. corporations in and do whatever they want and abuse the shit out of workers and literally just murder uh, like uh, labor organizers. And it's like, yeah, like the Marcos Jr. has only been in for a little while, but he's like a lot of it's like a continuation of the policies under Duterte. And really every of mm-hmm. these right wing monsters that the United States has supported since the quote unquote end of U.S. colonialism there right after World War Two. 
Yeah, absolutely. I remember when Duterte went out of office and everybody was like, oh, we might get someone good. And they were like, no, Marcos Jr. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think that this also highlights with the, you know, these multinational companies being where a lot of this organization happened. This is clear, like long form retaliation against Fernandez because of, you know, their their position as part as the hegemons, as part of, you know, monopoly capital in the world and basically the dictators of what doesn't doesn't happen with, you know, Marcos himself being, uh, you know, a defender and purveyor of the violence in their name. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we just wanted to, uh, as always, all our solidarity to the incredibly difficult struggle faced by uh, labor and human rights organizers in the Philippines, uh, which is, again, intimately linked to U.S. imperialism. And so an area where really, I think, uh, U.S. labor has a lot of uh, uh, you know work to do building the solidarity that we should have with uh, Filipino workers. Also, just real quick, I want to shout out the Real News for putting that report together. Uh, that w- was the source for all of this. They, they they've been doing a really good job of covering like a lot of the uh, international stories that a lot of other labor orgs in the U.S. don't really cover. Yeah, absolutely. And in in the next piece that we're going to be covering this week, we've previously discussed the ways in which the U.S. abuses migrant labor to prop up failing profit rates, especially in high labor, low automation industries like agriculture and domestic work. But recent, but a recent report from Michael Sonato at the Guardian highlights that this practice is widespread in many industries through the abuse of various work visa programs. This piece focuses on the a class action lawsuit. Against against the Marriott International by former worker Daniel Esteban Camas Lopez. Mr. Lopez, a Mexican culinary arts student, says that the company abused his J-1 visa, which was meant to help him receive job training, but instead used him as a form of cheap labor. Lopez came from Aspen, Colorado as an intern in 2020 on the program to learn from chefs at the prestigious five-star St. Regis Aspen Resort Hotel, and instead... Lopez received no training and was forced to work long hours and train temporary workers who were paid more than him despite having no experience or training. Yeah, I mean, this this just reminds me so much of, uh, you know, the way that we were talking about the farm. It was like one of the few farms that has unionized since they just recently uh, allowed that in New York. There was that like apple farm that was owned by some like rich Italians. And they were like... uh, constantly abusing the work visa program to bring in workers from Jamaica. And they were just always paying the Jamaican workers less than everybody. And just because they put those workers in a position where they were reliant on their bosses for housing, they're reliant on their bosses for transportation, and they're like largely isolated away from the rest of the community. So they're like, even if they wanted to complain, there's a lot of risk there. Yeah, and I mean, Lopez himself was only paid $14 an hour to work 72 hours, six-day weeks. This visa program is ostensibly supposed to cap workers at 40 hours a week, but with little interest from the capitalist state in enforcing such restrictions, companies are largely free to force workers into huge amounts of mandatory overtime. 
The extra sinister part of these programs is that the workers are forced to pay their visa sponsor for the, quote, cost of hiring them and then pay whatever the company demands for housing. So Lopez was charged nearly $4,000 from his visa sponsor on top of the $800 per month for rent to in a basically rundown house that he was made to live in with all of the other interns. All of this is the with the promise of training that was literally never provided. The lawsuit filed by Lopez alleges that the Marriott v- violated Colorado's Consumer Protection Act by acting by making fraudulent claims about the internship program itself and that the program amounts to racketeering and visa fraud by the corporation. Yeah, like and I, they're right. I mean, that's it's one of those things where, you know, we always see these with all these different work visa programs that you'll always hear these touted. Because, again, uh, the whole reason that these are here, that these sorts of things even really exist, is just because of how restrictive our immigration system is and, and how racist it is. And so you have all these different work visa programs that are theoretically a way to provide either on-the-job training or all of these other things that are touted as like, oh, these are wonderful. But ultimately, the whole purpose of these programs is to help companies get cheap labor. That's the only reason they exist. That's and 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 so there's all this ideological like stuff that's thrown on top of it. But at the end of the day, they're right. It's like the whole point of this is that they want to suppress wages for every single position that they can. And if they can increase the labor pool for that and 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 disguise it and gussy it up with all this nonsense about training and then just never provide it because the state has no interest in actually enforcing it. It's 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 uh it's it's a one of those times where i think you know stafford beer's heuristic the purpose uh, the purpose of a system is what it does once again <laughs> yeah. is is very helpful for understanding how the, all of this is set up yeah absolutely and daniel esteban camas lopez said on this on this issue himself said quote the important thing of this outcome of this lawsuit is for the J-1 program to be respected and honored. It is a professional exchange program that motivates foreign students and professionals to come to the United States to go through a training program to learn what it's like to work in American companies and businesses. The sad part is that these companies, in my case, were taken advantage of. We are used as cheap labor, end quote. Yeah, my only beef with that is that, like, you did learn what it's like to work in American companies and businesses. <laughs> I, I hate to be glib about it, but I think that's true. Yeah. No, I, unfortunately, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Like, that it's... It's not what he means, but it it is mm-hmm. the effect. And, and and like you know, to what we were saying, you know, we had a quote also from uh, the uh, David Seligman, who's a lawyer with the Worker Advo- Advocacy NGO towards Justice, who laid it out pretty openly, saying, "quote The problem is that, as we allege here in this case, and we've seen in the in other cases, the J one visas are a complete sham." It's not about a cultural exchange. In this case, it's not about preparing people to advance their careers in their home countries. It's about low-wage, exploitable work, and that's deeply concerning, end quote. Which, I mean, shocker, everything in the world is about low-wage, exploitable work under capitalism. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the only thing. Is lot, I'm like, oh, good analysis, good analysis, good analysis, and then... And that's deeply concerning. I'm like, it is deeply concerning, but let me tell you else what's deeply concerning. Let me start arraying things in a systemic manner for you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But 
yeah, I mean, this whole thing's really fucked up and it, and it really sucks. So all our solidarity to these workers and, and really, I think it's important for us to understand that it's like when we have all these programs for work visas, none of that is for the benefit of the people getting those visas. It's for the benefit of the companies employing them. So oh, absolutely. But to move on to our next story, you know, we've we've had a lot of big strikes this year, and but a lot of them have started to wind down. But there's one that could be another big one for the very beginning of 2024. Um, because while, you know, we've seen bosses at companies around the U.S. implement these harsh return to the office policies in many sectors in order to both justify the unnecessary jobs of so many middle managers and upper managers, uh, and, but also for many of those same, uh, like, mid or lower upper uh, level managers to justify the extremely expensive investments that the companies made in uh, commercial real estate. Uh, you know, so you have all these companies trying to force workers back. But, but despite that, office vacancies remain much higher than before the pandemic. And so in the wake of this, workers who help maintain those buildings are gearing up for a fight back against their employers who are aiming to extract concessions from them. And so this is, a, a, this is all coming out of a report for our documented New York by Amir Kafegi, another uh, favorite reporter on our show who does a lot of great work on labor in New York. Uh, SEIU 32BJ, you know, one of the, the real, one of the biggest, I, I think, locals in SEIU in New York City, is in the midst of very contentious negotiations with the Realty Advisory Board, which is basically a, a commercial landlord trade group. Uh, that contracts the services of 20,000 union cleaners to maintain their buildings all over the city. Their current contract expires at the end of this year, and workers have vowed to strike if a new deal isn't reached before then. So their employer in this situation is an organization of business owners who hire them to come in and clean all of their various properties. Yes. So jail, straight to jail for them is what it is. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's like, yeah, we're the Realty Advisory Board. And, and I always just, whenever I hear stuff like that, I want to bring in, you know, the, the consultants from office space. Like, what would you say you do here? <laughs> yeah, the bobs. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, you just make everyone's life worse while you get rich? Uh, hmm, not sure that that position is going to be surviving this round of layoffs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, for already being related to like real real estate and then just being like an advisory board like just like what the the parasites on the backs of the parasites i mean yeah basic well it's, it's like the you know in the same way the state is the executive committee for the entire ruling class this sort of thing is the executive committee for this fraction of the ruling class mm. which again should be illegal <laughs> well yes i mean absolutely but this is america so of course it's not but um, right. and so past struggles by these union workers have secured uh, these these cleaning workers some of the best compensation for cleaners in the country including health insurance vacation a pension and a wage of at least $29 an hour a list of things which you would think would be baseline for workers in any country but in america unfortunately those are all incredible wins uh and but with the commercial real estate market still in a slump Bosses are really trying to make as many excuses as they can to try and cut into these hard-won gains and roll them back. And so uh, Howard Rothschild, president of the Realty Advisory Board, told Documented, quote, Without changes to increase flexibility in our collective bargaining agreement, the future of the industry and our workers is in jeopardy. 
Now is the time for the union and industry to roll up our sleeves and come together to negotiate a contract that will provide for a sustainable future, end quote. Let me see your uh, bank account. Yeah, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, my thing is I'm like, you're really stretching the definition of the word industry there, my man. <laughs> like, uh, like, because it's just like, okay, the future of the industry is in jeopardy. What industry is that? The industry of owning buildings and profiting from their existence while not adding any value? Or is it like the industry of buildings existing? Because I don't think that one's going to go away just because you're not making the same profits you used to. Yeah, it's kind of like when people talk about climate change and they're like, the earth is in danger. I'm like, the earth is fine. We are in danger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. So, like, obviously that statement is ludicrous. Like, while the commercial real estate industry is has suffered a decline as the pandemic revealed that, you know, millions of workers uh, had – that the office environment was entirely unnecessary for their jobs and oftentimes a really big detriment, like, even from productivity, like, from that perspective. And so, yeah, again, like – in addition to showing that, you know, like these landlords and property managers reap massive profits well beyond the cost of paying their workers a decent wage or keeping these these buildings up. Again, all of that is just waste. All of that profit is it's just, it's like all profit ultimately is theft. But the profit in like real estate is just it's like you aren't adding anything. You're just stealing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so whereas these cleaners are doing incredibly vital work. I'm like, send all of the real estate money to them. Like, they're the, they are keeping the buildings from collapsing, not you, random people that own the buildings and don't do anything. Yeah, I mean, truly, if the buildings are empty, I think the cleaners might be the only people putting any value into the buildings <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, if there were any structural issues, I bet that fucking, like, CEO or real estate manager doesn't know until the mm-hmm. fucking workers let them know. And then they're usually ignored. Like uh-huh. that's yeah. So and as the workers have pointed out, they've actually already made concessions in the form of layoffs because membership remains two thousand jobs below twenty nineteen levels. And there aren't fewer people in New York City. Uh and so, you know, Manny uh Pastrike, a the president of uh 32BJ, told documented, quote, Our members have made big concessions. They made concessions through the layoffs. They made concessions as essential workers. Now the point is, how do they get rewarded for the concessions they have made? How do they continue to keep up with inflation to pay for the rent and for the groceries? End quote. Yeah, because this is uh, the naturalization of of business, but the uh, kind of like aberration of labor demands uh, from the mm-hmm. you know idea of the capitalists is that oh. No, those layoffs were just a natural function. Right, exactly. As if it's like, because they're like, oh, that's, yeah, that just happens in the background. Like you're saying, it's, it's just, it was an act of God that those people got laid off, not something we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's like, the, like, exactly as they were saying, it's like, we've already been given concessions and everything is getting more fucking expensive. So it's not time to be talking about, you know, giving back. It's time to be talking about, like, what are we doing for the cleaners to deal with these problems? How are we getting those 2,000 jobs back? How are we keeping, you know, pay rates above inflation? That's the real question to be asking. And so, you know, and that's what 32BJ is asking. And while it is often difficult for lower wage or service workers uh, in, in, in their unions to build up particularly large strike funds just due to the fact that those workers are often some of the most underpaid. 32BJ has amassed a, a strike fund of about like $20 million and 
are prepared to shut down business as usual if need be. And so if the bosses, these, these landlord bosses, keep asking to make the workers suffer in the midst of a cost of living crisis, on January 1st, hundreds of buildings across New York City will have no one to clean them. And then maybe the value of these workers will be better appreciated by those who employ them. Yeah, and I mean, just a little bit of, like, you know, labor uh, history in this regard. I mean, 32BJ might be uh, something that, uh, or a a local that people recognize, and it's because they're under SEIU and have, like, have special terms. They are really one of the most radical locals in the SEIU. And so it's not surprising that they're willing to, like, really stand up, and also that they have their own strike fund. And so with this fight, I mean, we can this is not a, an idle threat this is a very real like uh warning from the workers at 32BJ that there will be actions if there are not like real uh if there is not real progress made towards the workers needs yeah and so we'll definitely, you know, keep folks posted as as the the year winds to a close and we approach the end of these negotiations to see if there is in fact going to be, you know, one of the the first big strikes of 2024. Mhm. Absolutely. And I mean, as you're saying, we're getting towards the end of the year, which means that we have just recently hit Black Friday, which is always one of the harshest days of the year for workers, especially in retail. And workers face crowds of shoppers vastly larger than usual with very little additional support from management. This has also made it, an, uh, made it an obvious target for unions to maximize their leverage on the biggest shopping day of the year for many br- brick-and-mortar stores. And this year, in addition to the annual strikes at Amazon warehouses in Europe, workers at Macy's locations in Washington also went on strike to protest their awful working conditions. As reported by Michael Sonato at The Guardian, so Michael Sonato getting two plugs in this episode. Good work, Michael. Uh, Macy's workers who are unionized with UFCW Local 3000 voted 96% in favor of striking last month. Asia Domingo, a 21-year veteran of Macy, uh, 21-year veteran Macy's employee, told the Guardian, "Quote: Macy's CEO gets 11 million dollars per year, while a lot of his workers rely on food banks, and some can't even afford to see doctors because of the low wages and the ex- and the expensive health care." End quote. And in the past two years, Macy's has diverted nearly all of its profits, over $750 million, to stock buybacks and dividend payouts to investors rather than returning any of the money to the workers who actually created that value in the first place, which is something that we're seeing all over major capitalist industries these days. And most Washington's Macy's stores pay barely uh, over the state's minimum wage of $16 an hour. And workers are saying that these low wages have led to extremely high turnover and chronic understaffing, making existing employees cover multiple positions, which if anybody has been in retail, I'm sure you've experienced this to some extent. But when you are literally getting paid minimum wage, which I mean, I mean, maybe my experiences in in like retail environment have been like slightly above minimum wage and those are still like high turnover. If it was worse than that, the amount of Mm -hmm. turnover and understaffing is just exacerbated. 
Well, and it's also interesting because it's like Macy's is meant to be the like one of the good like fancy stores, right? But even they are falling down the business model well of doing the Dollar General routine where it's like, what if one person ran the whole store and they did every job for $8 an hour? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It it has been wild to watch. And I think like retail like i mean this has been uh, as you've said like lena this has been a problem for a long time but ever since you know the start of the pandemic i feel like we've seen this divergence where you've had the bosses being like okay so we lost a bunch of people from covid and our business stayed open yes the service was terrible and everyone hates us now but it's still open <laughs> so what if we just ran like that forever? Whereas at the same time, workers' consciousness has been like, wait a minute, we lost people and they didn't fucking replace anybody. They didn't do like we worked through this fucking pandemic and they they gave us a dollar hazard pay, said thank you, and took it away. <laughs> so like uh-huh. you have simultaneously the boss is learning all of the wrong lessons. And a lot of the workers learning all of the right lessons about this. And the bosses keep being like, no, we can keep paying minimum wage. People will still want to come work at Macy's. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, like on top of that, other workers who spoke with The Guardian say that Macy's has been committing unfair labor practices for years with no consequence, including surveilling workers, banning them from talking to each other and bad faith bargaining, which I mean, especially that last one's not surprising, but banning mm. them from talking to each other is yeah. especially egregious. Jail. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also that's also one of those things that. Like I know they did that as an anti-bargaining thing. Like they're, they're it's it's mm-hmm. it's clearly like it's an attack on protected concerted activity. But I also feel like again when we're talking about service workers, you know, there's there's like that manager brain where you're just like those two workers are talking, which means they're not working, which makes me incredibly angry. <laughs> uh-huh. Which is like if your workers are talking to each other during the day, more than likely, they're actually ultimately probably going to be more productive because their day is not going to be a silent, monotonous hell where they are just constantly being surveilled and run crazy by like their their boss. So like, it, they, they keep doing these things where I'm even trying to think from the bourgeois perspective, and I'm just like, I don't... I don't think in the long run this is a sustainable way to run your shop here. <laughs> I think that the reason why it's difficult for us to conceptualize is because even when we try to like put ourselves in those shoes, we can only really kind of be like, all right, so what's the logic that would be yeah. there? But no, they actually, it is just literally how like they have wired their own brains to just be the default. There isn't another option. It is yeah. simply just the reality. They are the dictators. Uh, but, I mean, also kind of speaking to, to this, I mean, Lisa Lewick, a sales associate at the uh, at the Linwood Macy's, said, quote, They've worked us to death on skeletal staffing, and it's just not fair. When we see that they've made all these billions, when they've pledged to put the money back into the business, they're establishing 30 new stores, they have the Macy's Day Parade, they have fireworks, we're angry, and even our customers comment on it. End quote. And I mean, that's not surprising at all. I mean, I mean, as a customer, you go in there and especially if you have a, any sort of, you know, sympathy or like uh, John, I believe, said last week is like, oh, hate to do that to someone. Hate to be a customer. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but yes. you know, you you comment on that and they're like, yeah, it is bad. Absolutely. And I mean, like 
the only thing is is that these these business owners are really isolated and have an entirely as i was kind of saying before a different consciousness of the world yeah yeah no absolutely and it's yeah and it is wild because it's like when you even get the customers many of whom unfortunately i would think especially at a department store environment like macy's are not necessarily always going to have the most sympathy unfortunately for the workers and so when you have even even the hated customer is noticing how bad things are that you've uh I, yeah i think the illusion that 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 john made to the dollar generalization of all forms of of retail uh i think is apt i think that's an apt comparison yeah absolutely and i mean the union kicked off their strike at the Tukwila location uh just outside seattle with the worker uh with a worker parade Union members from other UFCW locals and many community supporters joined them to show that they back the workers. Thousands have signed a petition in support as well. And in response to the strike, Macy's put out a boilerplate PR statement. And when I say boilerplate PR statement, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, did they just like, they have like, uh, what is it, like fridge magnet responses that are all <laughs> stuck together permanently. Is They said, Quote, live, laugh, love, bust union. Yeah, exactly. Quote, Macy's seeks to reach a deal that is mutually beneficial to the colleagues, company, and union. End quote. Which, like, that's nothing. You're, you said nothing there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a company, though. So that's what we expect. But <clears throat> solidarity with these workers, you know, I, I know, like, there's also a lot of movement within the UFCW to try and specifically, like, you know, turn it into a bit more of a fighty union uh, than it has been in the past. And I know that UFCW Local 3000 in particular has been one of the more outspoken and militant locals. So really glad to see these, you know, Macy's workers standing up for better conditions. Yeah, I mean, I remember when there was they had an early like rank and file push and there was a little bit of some negativity around that at first. But I think that that really has prevailed and brought up some of the fighting people in that local. Yeah. So. Uh, on our, our next story, we've got, this is definitely an industry we have not talked about a lot on the show. So, you know, while the financial sector of our economy obviously dominates most of the uh, U.S. and has for decades as monopoly, cap that's just kind of how monopoly capitalism works, uh, as it, you know, you have to have huge, huge sources of capital in order to further uh, advance the forces of production. And the only organizations that have such massive quantities of capital available to move around are the banks. And so you have, you know, monopoly capitalism dominance, the finance sector. And so because of that, you know, understandably, we don't really talk about workers in the financial sector, all of that often on the show. And there's practically zero union presence in that sector in the United States. But per a new report this week from the Wall Street Journal, that may be about to change because so on Monday, November 20th, the journal reported that workers in Albuquerque, New Mexico and Bethel, Alaska, uh, simultaneously filed with the NLRB to request union elections at their Wells Fargo branches. Uh, these unions are aiming to organize all non-management personnel at their bank branches and are affiliated with the CWA, the Communications Workers of America. And, you know, as I mentioned, barely any workers in finance are organized in the U.S. with the uh, Wall Street Journal reporting union density of a mere 1.3 percent, which even for America is extremely low. Um, but organizers like Jesse McCool, a Wells Fargo worker with a dope name, uh, who <laughs> right? is also a union supporter in St. Louis, uh, told the Wall Street Journal that they've been inspired by the upsurge in worker action uh, across the country. Quote, 
we would be foolish to not strike while the iron is hot, end quote, uh, that, that she told the journal. Um, and so the CWA has been slowly building with Wells Fargo workers for the last couple of years, and the current labor surge presented an opportunity to finally push to establish union shops. And so now, like, this whole case, just to editorialize for a sec, I understand may not necessarily be the sector that our listeners are most looking to to be unionized. But I, I think that this is a reflection of a lot of the changes that we're seeing across the economy more broadly, where you see a lot of these positions that would have been previously been considered, you know, like, air quotes, middle class jobs, uh, professional jobs, whatever that means, that are now becoming more and more proletarianized because uh, like Wells Fargo branch workers are dealing with some of the same issues we've heard from real retail workers around the country, especially an increase in understaffing since the beginning of the pandemic. Again, this is the same thing that the workers at Macy's were complaining about. And so being forced to try and run the Albuquerque branch with only eight workers after several others left during the peak of COVID and were never replaced started to push the remaining workers to seek ways to improve their working conditions. The Bethel, Alaska branch is even smaller with just five non-management workers. And these are two of Wells Fargo's 4,300 branches worldwide, which is a lot but it's still less than half the number of Starbucks. The thing about a five <laughs> like person team is that like you just have to have like three really strong union supporters yeah. to, get, to get your union. Well, and and also like the thing about a five person team is that it exists within the scope of most people's ability to remember personal details about everybody. So like if you convince <laughs> yes. three people to be on board with the union, it's not that hard to imagine that like you're all talking at each other's kids birthday party right. or whatever and you can get the other two on board. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so like as I was kind of like talking about before, like I I do think that this shows parallels between like some of the other jobs that are sort of becoming proletarianized, uh, for lack of a more popular term. <laughs> uh, but and I, I'm thinking specifically of like what we've seen with the movement among pharmacists lately, because that's a job that for decades, maybe centuries, has really been kind of a like professional. All in in, in previous tar- times would have almost been like a petty bourgeois position, because oftentimes mm-hmm. pharmacists own their own shops. Uh, but obviously, with the monopolization of pharmacy work under CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, a couple other companies, that has very quickly become much more of a standard, you know, wage work job like any other uh, wage worker. And I think we're even starting to see that creep in to the banking sector, which is wild because, like, Sabrina Perez, who was hired to work as a banker for wealthy customers at the Albuquerque branch, has now also been required to do double duty as a teller. And so, like, Again, I'm not so much concerned that it's like, oh, teller work is beneath these bankers. It's not. It absolutely isn't. But I think that, you know, you see that, like, this forced class displacement among people has clearly created a desire to halt the worsening of job conditions at Wells Fargo. And those sorts of processes create the opportunity for alliances, you know, between people who may not have necessarily always seen eye to eye, where you'll have the tellers mm-hmm. who probably have been for a long time been like, you know, we could really use a union. We could this thing. Things could be a lot better, and the, maybe the more middle-class bankers have been like, eh, I don't know, I think things are pretty good. Well, now, as the company's like, well, what if we can make those people do, like, two or three jobs at mm-hmm. the same time? 
Well, suddenly now everybody's kind of looking at the same bullshit <laughs> and that gives a lot of opportunity for unity. Well, it's kind of funny because capitalism deliberately striated the, the working class to make us all like want to fight each other like crabs in a bucket. Mm-hmm. But that now, like in order to chase the declining rate of profit, they have to re-proletarianize everybody and put us all in the same bottom yep. of the bucket together again. And it's kind of undercutting their strategy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to speak to the last thing that you said, Dan, I mean, I think that it's important to recognize that this expansion of job duties will necessarily cause problems with them doing their original job, and then they're going right. to become more frustrated, and th- that kind of stretching thin, that that like, uh, you know, moving towards that 57-second minute, right? It's, right? it's that right. same kind of labor intensification, but on a different level. Right. No, exactly. And so, like, the workers at the Bethel, Alaska branch have focused on the low compensation they receive and the inconsistent, arbitrary nature of raises and promotions. And, like, while Bethel is a small town in Alaska, its extremely remote location makes cost of living there very high. Groceries have to be flown in by plane, which makes weekly expenses much higher than in other parts of the country. And rent can exceed over $2,000 a month. Uh, Walter Sexton, an organizer at the Bethel store, told reporters that his pay has remained relatively stagnant in the last few years, despite rising inflation, requiring to take a second job at the town's airport in order to pay bills. And so uh, the, the, the Wall Street Journal, being a business paper, of course, also reached out to the CEO of Wells Fargo, who claimed that the bank has made efforts to improve conditions by raising compensation and reducing open hours. But I mean, rather clearly, whatever cosmetic changes they made, if there were any, uh, were made to try to just hold off organizing efforts and that they haven't really at least entirely worked uh, because not only have these two stores filed, but CWA organizers told uh, Wall Street Journal reporters that a recent organizing call drew 150 workers from branches across the country. And they hope that getting these first small shops unionized will be that, you know, uh, sort of canary in the coal mine that like shows other workers it's like this is safe you can do this this is a thing that can actually work similar to how the first few stores uh in buffalo that organized the starbucks showed workers around the country what was possible and led to the explosive growth of the starbucks workers united movement yeah and i mean really encouraging we would like to see more people be able to uh you know be unified in in this kind of industry where it historically has not had the sort of unity that it would be necessary to uh i don't know enact things like uh boycotts and divestments and sanctions yeah Uh, absolutely (laughs) and so you know workers have announced that they've asked wells fargo for voluntary recognition uh but i think we can all kind of anticipate how that's gonna go and even if we weren't just relying on knowing how companies in America operate. Specifically, Wells Fargo has hired a new head of labor relations and are actively training managers uh, in anti-union talking points to try and counter the drive. So I would say the the possibility of voluntary recognition seems just as remote as Bethel's northern location. Yeah, certainly, 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 certainly. And I mean, to round out our stories for this week, we want to talk about uh, a, a major reform push uh, by a union. So, I mean, with the SAG after strike suspended, Hollywood appears to be on the verge of like returning to its regular production, which has freed up many of the unions who have been supporting the writers and actors out on the picket lines to launch their own initiatives. Uh, there was a recent article by Lisa Zhu um, in Labor Notes that discusses an announcement of another new rank and file reform caucus fighting for democracy in IATSE 
which I mean is I think a really big thing. I actually know mm-hmm. a couple people in IATSE, and you know sometimes the way that their system is set up is uh, you know could use a little a little tweaking because I mean I mean especially yes. long term listeners may remember the hotly contested contract fight by IATSE two years ago during the first striketober round of the current labor upsurge, where workers had authorized a strike by almost a hundred percent, pointing out the extreme burden of hours and working conditions placed on them, and many workers were pointed to stories of their fellow IATSE members falling asleep at the wheel after 14, 16, 18-hour shifts and leading to tragic deaths. But just before the strike deadline, a tentative agreement was announced by the bargaining team. It was voted down by a pretty narrow margin, but because IATSE operates on an electoral college system rather than a direct vote by all of the the members, they do not have one member, one vote. The contract was then ratified against the wishes of the majority of members. And I mean, we criticized the system at the time for denying the will of the rank and file and how these sorts of anti-democratic structures in unions really only serves to demobilize workers and, and really hamstring any efforts of organizing because people feel that well, what is it that this is supposed to be doing if we don't actually even have democratic control over our own organization? Yeah, and, and like the IATSE system is a little different than some of the even more like top-down systems where it's all just delegates who who get to like vote on these sorts of things. But it, yeah, the electoral college system that they use is something that I I don't know that I've seen in like other major unions, and I find very confusing like why it would be necessary in a modern union to do something like that. I really cannot come I up mean, with a good reason for not just doing one member one vote. I get it if you're an American union and you're like, well, American democracy is the greatest democracy, so let's import every feature <laughs> and bug directly from bourgeois liberalism into our union. But it's still not the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, like uh, now, I mean, with the two major Hollywood strikes over, the new reform caucus has formed within IATSE and have call- been going by the name Crew or the Caucus of Rank and File Entertainment Workers. The reform organizers launched their efforts publicly with a webinar on Thursday, November 16th, to talk about how they plan to prepare for next year's contract expiration. And in order to enable the union to mobilize the whole membership and fight for stronger contracts, Crew plans to fight to change the anti-democratic structures in IATSE, like the TDU and the UAWD, who have made it so that we got these really historic struggles at UPS and at the big three. I mean, they're one of their core demands is to change it so that the board is elected from uh, instead of a delegate system to a one member, one vote direct membership vote, which I mean, has been clear to be a major path to actually getting these sorts of um, reforms into practice in the first place. And as Mm -hmm. per their website, they say, quote, Only with rank-and-file control can we make sure our union fights fully to advance our interests. We actively support other members' rights to share information, speak out, form caucuses, participate in elections, and take collective action, end quote. And, I mean, very true, and we love to see the inspiration from these other successful movements in moving forward the real reforms that we need to create the fighting union movement. Yeah, and and so just to, like— 
This is going to be really interesting to watch because IATSE is going into a... 2024 is going to be a big year for IATSE because it's a contract year, but it's a contract year coming off of a year that was extremely challenging for a lot of IATSE workers because, you know, while SAG-AFTRA and WGA members were on strike, necessarily a lot of production in Hollywood was shut down, which means a lot of, you know, IATSE members were basically on, like, temporary layoff while the strikes were going on. And the IATSE workers did incredible strike support for for SAG-AFTRA, for WGA, for medieval times and other other workers. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, they've been doing incredible work even while they've been in a very challenging position. So this is – it's a tough time to be fighting for reform coming off of a period like that. But I think, you know, the fact that that contract fight was just a couple of years ago, and I, it really seems like that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. So I think, you know, coming off this year, we've seen such incredible victories by both the Teamsters and the UAW immediately following – democratic reforms within their union. I think they're, the, the, these reformers and crew are positioned really well um, to push for more democracy and to really make an impact on this next year's uh, contract fight. So it'll be this will be one to watch and one that I think will be one of the bigger stories we're following in 2024. Yeah, and I'm very excited to do that. I mean, again, I I might have a little bit of personal interest because I I have some people that I know personally who are uh, members of the the kind of uh, the industry that IATSE w- uh, is a major part of and have you know done work in in union work in that regard. And so I would really like to see that be more encouraging for people to want to join up because with a, I mean, like, I think that there is a little bit of a history of knowing that like Aussie is a little bit top down and they would like, and workers would like to see more of that control in their hands. And that will also encourage more organizing, which will just strengthen the union. So yeah, solidarity with these folks. And I really am excited to be covering this in the future, but uh, in things that we cover every episode, how about some pictures? Some pictures with words. <laughs> That's right, folks. It's the image description part of the podcast, folks. Welcome to the meme review. And we're going to start this week, you know, as a labor show, we got to start with something relevant to all of our favorite topics. Uh, Macy's workers who just went on strike because of the fact that their jobs only pay the goddamn minimum wage and the fact that so many of the states in the U.S. don't even have their own minimum wage. Yeah. So... This first one, I think this this is this looks like an AI created yeah. meme. Um, especially because all of the people in this are all in focus, which may, <laughs> is impossible given their varying depths of field. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so uh, that was something that confused me when I first looked at this. But so you've got uh, a bunch of folks in like biz, mostly business like suit attire, but bordering on on business casual with a few of them partially because this is an ai image and it doesn't really understand what it's doing (laughs) Uh, but you've got all these people looking either disappointed or confused and then the one person smiling and then over the top of it rent an entire human for as little as 725 per hour asterisk in a big it's like a big like a button like you're putting it on a sale and then a big uh, stamp that says best price underneath it and then in quotes 10 of 10 would exploit cheap labor again and quote satisfied business owner and then the asterisk for the 725 is offer available in Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, Tennessee and Wyoming 
Yeah, yeah. And also, <laughs> you you said it was AI generated, and I decided to do a little bit of a deeper look. And next to the to the left of the lady who's just shrugging, if you look at the hands of the guy who <laughs> his hands are together, very clearly AI generated hands. And also, just like yeah. if you get too close to the eyes of people, like they start to look really messed up. <laughs> yeah. Well, our our next meme is uh, not AI generated. In fact, it is about the realest one of all, Pluto. Uh, and it's uh, <laughs> it's two tweets. And the first tweet says, Pluto hasn't made a full orbit around the sun since it was discovered in 1930. NASA. And then a photo of Pluto. And then Totally Allen is in the reply saying, I wouldn't finish my job if I got fired either. <laughs> i mean this just it makes me think of you know the thing people be like oh you're quitting did you leave two weeks notice be like no why it's like you should have <laughs> noticed two weeks ago that i was about to quit <laughs> <laughs> exactly although this to me i want like i want there to be like a third part of this meme so this is my punch up for this meme <laughs> where if this was instead of two tweets stacked on top of each other if this was like the tumblr version where everything's just vertical where i want somebody to have drawn like you know like a timeline where you have like pluto on its orbit and then there's the point where nasa declares it not a planet and it just fucks off and just leaves like <laughs> solar orbit just like it, it's just like a planet with like putting on a hat with a little briefcase that's right that's right <laughs> i like that yeah uh this next one is a a meme that has uh hearts at the top it's got this guy who's wearing this nice like bald jacket uh, you know, he's putting a little something inside of his jacket, and the text on this says, "Be the reason that your local Walmart is reporting record profit losses." And you know, <laughs> I I wanted to bring this one in not just because you know, shoplifting's okay. It's a it's a it's allowed. I mean, it's not allowed, but it could be allowed. You know, you just gotta whatever. But anyway, <laughs> also you could be the reason that they are reporting record profit losses because. You are organizing people there. So I just thought that there's another <laughs> angle that you can take this on top of the, you know, removing goods from uh, a company that doesn't need them. That's right, folks. It's a meme review. We've got layers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I really loved this next one that was, it's just an old, it's an incredibly simply modified old cartoon from the 30s or no. Actually, probably from like the fifties, I think. Mm. Um, and so it's it's a old timey black and white political cartoon from it's got to be from like a UAW newspaper um, from back in the fifties. And it's and it's you've got a bowling alley where you've got one guy lined up. Very this is very much the 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 Chad Wojak versus the Soy Wojak <laughs> formula here, where you've got these sort of. The, the one guy who's like looking all cool and collected like he just th threw a strike and then you've got these three slumped over old paunchy businessmen looking real down and dejected and those three are labeled GM, Chrysler and Ford and so the original version of this had the 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 like the guy standing there like he just bowled like somehow two strikes at once <laughs> and was labeled Walter Ruther but has now been labeled Sean Fain. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh yeah, and I'm trying to read this this um this cursive font. It says uh what with with kindest regards Walt to Walter to Ruther. Walter Ruther and uh Jack Morris. Jack Morris. Very nice. And yeah, and then it's captioned at the top, ready for his lesson as GM is like approaching <laughs> the bowling lane. Hell yeah, hell yeah. So thank you at Cramburglar for making that edit. You just lost Kentucky Trust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
And then our last one is uh, about the uh, Macy's Day Parade, and uh, it's from uh, at NYC Department of Transportation, and it says, it's always, how is the parade, and never, who rotates all the lampposts so the balloons can fit down the street? Shaking my damn head. (laughs) (laughs) I just love this one because, like, look, there are a lot of times where unions do their best with memes. And I know this is actually the DOT itself, not a union. But like, and a lot of times those memes are, uh, not, they're not always the greatest quality. Mm-hmm. Although SEIU puts out a lot of bangers. But I just love these occasional things where it's like a worker being like, hey, uh, all that shit that you like take for granted is actually really fucking hard. Yeah, I actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. hadn't thought well, about that. I mean, that. that's like one of the big reminders labor can always remind people of in society is that like, you know, probably better than half of the work that goes into keeping things going is totally invisible. And that's just at mm-hmm, the job. Mm-hmm. That's not even like counting domestic labor and all manner of other contributions towards society. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even know you could rotate lampposts so that balloons could fit down the street. That's what I was about to say. I mean, I, I learned from this meme, like, oh, yeah, they would have to move, wouldn't they? Yeah. Can't be popping yeah, it, Garfield with a stoplight. <laughs> that's true. It's true. Um, and so, I mean, uh, then there's also like the, I mean, this wasn't in our meme review, but there's also like the Minions one with the with the, yes. the genocide underneath it because of the protests that happened in defense of Palestine in the middle of the Macy's Day Parade. There was some wild pictures from that. There was the ones that people were taking because they ran out in front of a McDonald's limousine oh, yeah. with Grimace in it. And there's pictures of it. There were people made it looks like the Zapruder film, but of Grimace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh That's my wild. goodness. Well, with that, we're going to wrap for this episode. We want to thank everybody for listening. And if you would like to support us as an entirely listener supported show, we really, really ask you to do that at patreon.com slash work stoppage. We are in the middle of going through some of the early history of organizing in the military and some of the questions that that raises and whether or not, well, I guess what our conclusions are in that regard. So uh, if you want to check out that, become a patron. And if otherwise, you can share shows with your friends. You can write a review. Five stars on Apple Podcasts helps people find the show. We really appreciate that. You can also follow us in all of the places. The links are at workstoppagepod.com. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. Makes me ask, well, if there was a God, why am I in the situation I'm in? Or why is my family going through certain situations when I don't think that they deserve it? You know what I mean? Why do good people suffer so much and bad people prosper so much? Going out. We like this J up right here. For all the hard work and fun. Pop do across this country. Across the world. Auntie. Everybody on the grind every day, 9 to 5, 8 to 12. What you do is just know how we do it. Hand to hand, whatever. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. I ain't telling you nothing you don't already know. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. Like this world just don't want us to grow. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. I ain't telling you nothing you don't already know. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. Wanna run up in the White House and kick in the door. 
nigga gon' eat when the refrigerator empty Work all week, let the boss man pimp me Can't pay no rent to the 15th Landlord call the police to evict me Looking for a job and it won't ask Have you ever been to jail? No, they gon' ask Ever took a piss test that you didn't pass In between jobs in the past, how you get cash? I done worked over high-ass stoves I done picked up trash off roads Wintertime in the streets in the cold Many time in the sleep in my clothes on the floor What you know about being poor? Seeing most of your kinfolk be on dope Ain't nobody in the hood got no hope in this fucked up system And that's why we don't vote Still paying niggas 425 How the fuck we supposed to survive? I'm close to the edge Government taking most of my bread and taxes Might as well have a toast to my head Make a nigga wanna wild out Run up in the White House with the gauge out Click clack Give me my shit back I've been working all my life but ain't got nothing to show I ain't telling you nothing you don't already know I've been working all my life but ain't got nothing to show Like this world just don't want us to grow I've been working all my life but ain't got nothing to show I ain't telling you nothing you don't already know I've been working all my life but ain't got nothing to show Wanna run up in the White House and kick See where I'm from, it's a few ways out Either rap, either sports, either dope, or the casket You can work to the bone, but I say it Please don't put all your eggs in one basket We don't ever get a piece of the pie Work 50 years, retire, then die Stay poke, rich folks is a criminal But you don't wanna hear me though, so Thank God it's Friday, ain't it what we live for Nigga gotta get up out the plantation Same job that my pop had before me I'ma pass it down to my seed, fucked up situation Make a nigga wanna wild out Run up in the White House with the gauge out Click clack Give me my shit back. Yeah. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. I ain't telling you nothing you don't already know. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. Wanna run up in the White House and kick in the door. Whoa, Really, though? Filling out this application